All right, and welcome to the Sins of Nat Sound podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lanamar. With me as always, James O'Hara. Hello. Sean Hogan. Hi. All right, so we've been delayed a couple of weeks um, since our last podcast, and uh, the Nats have been playing, to be fair, early on they were kind of out of sorts and then shorthanded, but they haven't been playing particularly well. Uh, to start off the season. No. Bet. Well, uh, it's interesting because they they have a lot of people who have individually decent numbers. Like, if you look, because I have their fan graphs, their leaderboard open right now, and they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hitters who have a WRC plus above 100. And you're like, well, that's great. Like, this must be a really good offense. They have a lot of really good hitters. But then you like look at the names. It's like Trey Turner, okay, but he's only at one seventeen, so he's not really repeating twenty twenty, quite you know as people were hoping or expecting. Juan Soto obviously injured, but wasn't you know quite at his heights, only one thirty three. Next, Josh Harrison, who has been awesome, and it's great, but it's like uh, I don't know how long that's going to last. Alex Avila only plays a couple games when. Jan Gomes is injured. Ryan Zimmerman only plays a couple games, you know, a week, if that. Yadiel Hernandez is also one of the ones over. He's not really going to play that often. Patrick Corbin is one of the ones over. He's a pitcher, as is Steven Strasburg. <laughs> hey, Steven Strasburg is number one. Lucroy. Jonathan Lucroy was only here for five games and is now gone. And uh, the last one here is Carter Keyboom, who managed to walk one out of two plays plate appearances he had so it's like great it's like oh 10 like you look at the stats for a second and you think oh this team must be doing you know have a good offense they must be doing well and then you like look at it any level closer and you're like oh no this is this is awful (laughs) yes is this has not gone well um and i mean on top of the the offensive woes um that you've already started to mention uh, a team that is based on pitching has not been pitching particularly well. <laughs> no, no. And it's not even the bullpen issues. Like you normally see the few times they actually have had to go to the a bullpen. I think maybe one time rainy turned a one run lead into a tie and then the Nats managed to win that game. And other than that, you know, rainy and Hudson and uh, hand have been pretty solid. You know, there's been a couple runs here and there, but not enough. Yeah, I don't think they've really blown any games seriously. Uh, their B bullpen has not been quite as good. Uh, they've had a lot of big blowouts, mostly. You know, some of it's been on the starters just giving up a lot of runs before they get pulled. Some of it's been the starter gets pulled down six, and then the B bullpen comes in and says, "All right, we can make that way worse. Give us a second. <laughs> um, so, but it, it's interesting is that a lot of the the classic issues you would expect with a bad Nats team aren't the ones we're seeing. It's, you know, a lot more fundamental problems. So and again, good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were talking about them being short. Um, Corbin came into the season late. John Lester still hasn't appeared for the Nats yet. Um, it appears that he is getting closer to at least throwing in some sort of a competitive manner. It's, um, John Lester is close enough that they're not 
bothering to try to sign Anibal Sanchez back. That that would tell you that it's at least going decently well, and he will. They expect him to come back, you know, probably early May. So that'll be nice to have him back. Uh, Steven Strasburg is uh, on the mend. Um, I think he threw from 150 feet today or yesterday. Well, that's way too um, far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no at most it was going to be 61 feet if he was in the Atlantic League, <laughs> yeah. but I think here it's just 60. Dang. It's like well, Max Scherzer had far. been doing really well until he uh, gave up that grand slam in this game that's occurring right now. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Patrick Corbin has... Uh, had a nightmare start to the season. Uh, well, he had two years one, in a row now. One good start out of four. Yeah. 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 Right. And Davey, it was his third start of the season, and Davey pulled him early to make sure he didn't suddenly have like a bad last inning. Be like, all right, we'll get you some confidence, get you some momentum. He goes in the next game and immediately it's just terrible again. <laughs> Figures it like. Immediately gives up runs in the first inning to the Braves, sort of holds it down for two innings, and then gives up even more runs in the fourth and then is pulled. And to just put some numbers on this, I mean, his strikeout per nine is down under eight, yep, um, which is a solid full strikeout lower than his career averages. Um, his walks per nine is up to five and a half. Only five and a half? I expected it to be like 15. And his home runs per nine is 3.3. There you go. That, that's a good number. <laughs> Babip of 340. Stra- he's stranded which, only like, 56% of runners, which is crazy. And the thing is, I mean, like his Babip is high, but it's not like it, it's not exorbitantly high. It's not so far out of the realm from his career averages that you're like, man, that's what's really killing him. Right. No, no, no. But, it's uh, or, definitely a skill. I guess it doesn't count on BAPIP if it's a home run, right? No. Because it's not in play. <laughs> yeah, it's not a ball in play. It's a ball out of play. <laughs> One of the three true outcomes. The Joey Gallo. So, yeah, that is why BAPIP can be deceiving in some way. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the problem is it's a one, he's a one-pitch pitcher. The whole point is he has in his couple of years where he was really good right after Tommy John surgery, 2018, 2019, his whole deal was he had a slider that he could basically control the way it spun, the way, you know, it came out of his hand that he could have like, he had like a similar grip. It was the same pitch, but the way he just could subtly change what he's doing with it and could get these big lollipop sliders that would go flying out of the zone or could get a really tight slider that you know is closer to what most pitchers throw, where it looks more like a fastball and then dives at the last second. Um, and he could basically just throw 60 70% at least sliders um, and just have to play off that a little bit. Uh, and it was just, since it was so much of a variation of what you were seeing, and if you could ID that he was throwing you a slider, it wouldn't matter because you didn't know which one it was going to be, whether it was going to be the subtle movement that maybe you could adjust to and get a good hit on, you make an adjustment and turns out it's the big devastating one. And you're still swinging over something that hit the dirt, you know, two feet before the plate and you look like an idiot. Uh, and he's just not 
last year and this year, he hasn't had any sort of control over it. Uh, the spin rate on it is down, which suggests, you know, he's not, you know, able to get the kind of turn, you know, momentum on it to be able to really get it to break like he wants to really control it like he wants. Um, and when he doesn't have that control, that means, you know, his subtle sliders aren't moving at all. They're just sitting there in the zone to be crushed. The ones that are supposed to be breaking out of the zones are, you know, are probably more obviously breaking to a hitter that, you know, they're able to see the difference between the two and adjust to it better and crush those ones as well. Uh, I mean, he's tried to make up for it by going, you know, throwing you know, a little bit more of his change up, but, you know, that's not really a good pitch. I mean, if he's going to be successful, he has to be throwing the sliders like he was in 2018, 2019. Uh, and it's just a real question of whether he actually can do that anymore or not. Did you guys see the other day MLB trade rumors said that the Nats had like conversations about him over the off season. They, they weren't sure. I guess it was Buster only that said it, if it was him or if it was the Nats or if it was other teams inquiring. And I was like, please take the last th- what three and a half years left on his contract away from us. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I don't think they have any chance of it now. Yeah. I, their only shot was teams would have, written off 2020 saying, Oh, it was just a really weird year. People couldn't get up to speed because it wasn't a good spring training. You know, it's not surprising that a guy that's so reliant on one pitch and one pitch is, you know, a really, you know, a strong feel pitch, a strong, you know, you have to get it out of your hand exactly the right way to really get the rotations on it that you need. You know, Oh, it's not surprising that he might've struggled just because you know, it was weird season uh, and then trade for him before this year. But, now he has a full off season, had a regular spring training, and it's looking pretty much exactly the same. So now that kind of confirms that it's not just some you know some sort of weirdness. You know, this is just he he can't seem to throw the pitch the same way anymore. Yeah, uh, which is unfortunate because that also means he's not really going to be. I saw one person suggest they could make him an extremely expensive left-handed reliever. You know, thinking about in the playoffs, he had a similar issue where when he was start when he started games, he was having a lot of trouble. You know, getting kind of far in, he was giving up a lot of runs, and so when they were, but the couple times where they used him as a reliever in the playoffs, he did pretty well, especially in Game Seven of the World Series. So, you know, it's natural to think, oh, he's struggling as a starter. Maybe you'll put him in as a a fireman reliever kind of guy, where you know, Strasburg goes six innings. And then here comes Corbin to go seven, eight, nine, and we don't need to use any of the other relievers, but we still have an elite pitcher out there. Um, you know, obviously that'd be really expensive. You wouldn't want to do that very long. Um, but I don't even think that would be a good solution here because, you know, the issue isn't his fastball speed or, you know, the slider having to play off his other pitches. The issue is the slider and that's not going to really change whether he's starting or relieving. He needs to, you know, it's still just not, as effective as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, early on in games uh, has certainly been an issue for him. (laughs) I don't know that him coming out in the middle and giving up a couple of runs right off the bat is necessarily what they're looking for. But you don't want Uh, to run sixth inning every game. (laughs) Not, not against us. No, thank you. (laughs) Only if we had a 15 run fifth inning. Then I think we'd be okay. <laughs> I'm looking for it. Are his 
Is his velocity down at all? Do we know? Velocity. I don't think so. I think it's it's literally just the slider. Yeah, it's actually up half a mile per hour. It's it's still down over a mile per hour since 2019, but um, it's back to basically where it was in 2018. But his slider is down like three miles per hour since 2019. Interesting. Yeah, so I I don't really know what they can do with that. That's that's a big problem. Um, I at this point I don't know how much longer you can really start him in major league games. I mean, how quickly yeah. does he hit the IL with suckitis, back spasms, or Sword whatever? Uh-huh. Uh I would say probably his next start, if. Especially if uh, yeah. what's his if face he is back. Start out. If he, you know, especially if John Lester can pitch. Yeah, that's that's what's um, his face. Exactly. Uh, I I could read your mind there. I I don't think you'd want to be running with Espino. Oh no. <laughs> and Fetty and Ross. You probably want just Ross, Fetty, and Lester. I mean, you still probably wouldn't even want Fetty. Can I pick none of the above? Um, well, no, Ross is fine. If Ross was okay for his first two starts and hasn't been that good since. Um, I, it's it's just a it's not a good problem to have right now. I mean, they need John Lester and Strasburg to come back and be awesome. And Scherzer, this Grand Slam to Vladimir Junior, notwithstanding, to continually do well. You know, Scherzer had a one eight ERA going into this game, so. Uh, I, they can kind of patch it together if Strasburg comes back and is healthy and is doing really well and Lester shows up and can kind of revive p- pitch like it's like four years ago. Um, otherwise, they're, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. There's, they just don't have the pitchers to work around this problem. Yeah. Let's see. Speaking on... The injury front. There's some other updates today. Uh, Soto swinging off a tee. Uh, Will Harris pitched in a simulated game Sunday. Uh, it sounds like he sounds okay. That's good. <clears throat> Could be on his way back. Wander Suero began a throwing program yesterday. He's on a throwing program every day where he's up. He, he throws in the bullpen each game. <laughs> uh, Nats are hopeful he could pitch off a mound this week. So sounds like he could be back not too long after he's eligible, which would be tomorrow. Mm. And Strauss did throw for over 150 feet. Everything went well, continuing to build strength, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it sounds like people are slowly coming back. And the good news is that everybody else sucks, too. Mm. Yeah, nobody in the NL East has really pulled away. So, if they can magically figure things out in the next week, they're they're still in fine position. Um, You don't normally want to be going to the end of April with a losing record. Uh, But if your closest division competition is only four games up at the end of April, that's not really enough of a lead. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Nats so far since 2012, 
They had a losing record at the end of April in 2013, 2015, 2018, and 2019. So one fourth of the time it's really great. Three fourths of the time it's they don't make the playoffs. So so you're saying there's a chance. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so the Nats currently sit 8-11, seller of the NL East, and are two games out of first. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very convenient. I don't know exactly what's going on with the other teams. And the Mets are having you know similar hitting problems that the Nats are. Uh, well, I mean, let's see how long those can last for. I don't know what's going on with the Braves. I think they're just having pitching problems probably i think everybody's guessed too like yeah but well, acuna's going nuts and i feel it like, i'm gonna pull him up because i feel like what it is is acuna's hitting really well and nobody else is i think it's actually uh, similar I, I also, to us where like a bunch of their random role players are like hitting really well like that you've never heard of but like any other like azuna has not been good i know that because he's on my fantasy team uh yeah I don't, off the top of my head, I don't think that Freddie's hitting that well, but I might be horrendously wrong. Yeah, let me look at the batters. I like, I'm looking yeah. at pitchers. Freed has an 11.45 ERA. Smiley, 7.2. Uh, Anderson's doing okay. Anderson's the only starter. Oh, and whoever Hoskar Inoa is, don't remember him, has a 3.86. Those are the two who have an ERA below four. Every other one of their starters is above four um oh yeah and soroka's injured he hasn't started yet this year so you're saying you don't his you don't you know him please? yeah he tore his achilles last year but apparently he has a shoulder inflammation now on his way back so yeah he had good. another injury i remember that yeah um oh no their offense is pretty good freddie if freddie's only at 121 wrc plus so yeah he's not he's bad for only him, hitting, but, yeah. his batting average is 208 so yeah so it's bad for him but not terrible Ozuna um, is at 58. Acuna is crazy. Pablo Sandoval, for some reason, has a 223 WRC plus. Only against us. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, their hitting depth isn't there. It's similar to the Nats page where, like, you see a few hundred numbers and then you look at them closer and it's like Max Fried, Ian Anderson, and Kyle Wright are all above 100. It's like, well, that's not, that, not really helpful here. Sandoval, whoever Guillermo Herrera, Herrera is. Herredia? Herredia. Herredia? Yeah. No idea who that is. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not really surprised that the Marlins are bad. Uh, I'm not that surprised the Phillies are bad. I'm happy that the Braves and the Mets have decided that they're going to start slow as well and not pull away. Uh, and that can give the Nets a chance. I mean, it's not, you can definitely see it. Um, they have talented players who are having bad starts, mostly because they kind of got messed up at the beginning of the year in terms of like Schorber and Bell having to sit out the first week because of the COVID you know, issues. You can kind of see how that, you know, especially you can see it in Josh Bell's plate appearances is that he just, you know, can't catch up to fastballs yet. Um, yeah, Soto should be able to come back healthy. Uh, you would hope John Lester would be here soon and be able to do well. You know, 
you know, there's a couple questions, but I, you could say, you know, if Soto comes back healthy, Bell Schwarber start hitting decently, Strasburg comes back, and, you know, Corbin can figure out, you know, even a little bit how to throw a better slider. That, you know, you have the makings of a decent enough team that can kind of get over the, the hump. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of different if clauses. So one of those not working out is it's not going to work out for them. So that's kind of the problem right now. So with, uh, with all the negatives currently, uh, any bright spots for you all in the first, what, 20 games of the season or so far? Oh, the secret weapon, of course. <laughs> ridiculous propaganda he's not even playing well i do not understand (laughs) like he had like two times he hit i mean it's basically it's it's because andrew stevenson comes up and you're like well this guy will never get a hit and then he does and you're like wow he did it he got that hit when we needed it i didn't think he would do it but he actually i mean it's crazy is that he still right now has a lower wrc plus than victor robles who everybody hates (laughs) And people are there, like people legitimately being like, "Hey, maybe Andrew Stevenson should have a shot at starting in you know right field or something next year." Like, why we don't need to resign Schwarber? I mean, obviously, right now Schwarber's doing pretty terribly, so you know we would be that excited to resign him. But we don't need to find a right fielder. Stevenson is here, and it's like he's not actually hitting. Um, it is fascinating though if you put him and Victor Robles together you can actually form a really good player because their stat cats stats like are the exact mirror of each other. So I was looking at this like the other day, uh, pulling it up again right now. Um, but Stevenson basically can't see shit, but when he makes contact hits the crap out of it and is, you know, so, like, his average exit velocity is the 83rd percentile. His hard hit percentage is the 86th percentile. His expected batting average is the 83rd percentile. So, he's like, when he makes contact, he crush, he hits the crap out of it, and generally in a place that can't be defended well. Um, but, like, his strikeout rate is the 23rd percentile. His whiff rate is pretty hot, is, you know, about average. His walk rate is very low. It's like... You know, and he's not really barreling it that much. So it's like he can, if he makes contact, it's good. And then Victor Robles is the exact opposite, where he's seeing the ball really well. His chase rate is like 84th percentile, whiff rate 74, strikeout or uh, walk rate 74th percentile. It's like he sees whether it's a strike or a ball and can do that part and can take a lot of walks. But anytime he tries to swing, he, it goes absolutely nowhere. His 16th percentile average exit velocity, 7th percentile in hard hit percentage, 10th percentile in barrel. He has one barrel this year. Yeah. And it's pretty much like what he was doing last year. The one thing he's he's doing better than previous years is he is actually seeing, he's not chasing the ball out of the strike zone. He has seen the strike zone well. It's just whatever swing he's got going, it's not giving him any sort of contact whatsoever. Have we attempted giving him anything aside from a pool noodle or? No, I don't know. I, it's, it's really weird. 
because it's not even like one of the things that Jesse Doherty had in the off season was they were talking about how he was trying to hit too many home runs and you know, one that had led him to do, or no, I don't know if it was Doherty, it was a uh, girly in the athletic, um, that he was like doing a lot too much strength training versus, uh, cardio and trying to keep his speed up and also was, you know, putting more of an uppercut in his swing to try to hit home runs. Uh, but that's come back out. I mean, so 2019, his launch angle was 16.7 degrees. 2020 went up to 19 degrees. And now 2021, it's, you know, 20.4 degrees. So he's not even going the right direction there. <laughs> he is now hitting it even more into the air than he was previously. So, I mean, it's just something they have to get figured out with him. I mean, so Robles is an interesting case. Stevenson, I think, is very similar to Luis Garcia was last year, where it might look good, like with your eyes, because you're like, oh, when I when he makes contact, he makes good contact. You know, he is able to hit it where the fielders aren't and can you know get on base that way. And you're like, well, what I remember is the times that he's hitting the ball. And it, he hits it well, so he must be like doing well offensively. And then you look at any of his other stats, and they're terrible, because that's the one thing he can do well is to hit it where the, the defense isn't. You know, at least Garcia did that all of 2020, and it was just crazy that you know, he was able to sort of prop up the rest of his offense, his like, top line offensive numbers, because the only thing he was able to do, he wasn't even getting good hard contact. He would just happen to keep hitting it where fielders weren't. It's like, well, that's not a very sustainable skill. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't be that much a believer in Stevenson. I would say Robles, since he's seen the zone well, if you can figure out how to get that swing back on the plane correctly, he could start crushing it out of nowhere. But, you know, we'll see. So that wasn't really positive. So that was kind of half. <laughs> that was just things that were annoying me. I guess, Sean, if you have any actual positives, I don't know how many actual positives there are to pull right now. I, th- I think the biggest positive is that as mediocre slash bad as things have gone this year, we're still only, what, two games out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, finding an ace reliever in Hernan Perez has been pretty nice. Mopping up those uh those blowout games. He's got that <laughs> 1.09 FIP. Nah, that's about it. <laughs> Trey Turner's been good. But he has got two more dunks tonight. Yep. Yeah. That's right now they're the Washington Turner Turnals. Yeah. Turnals? Turnals, I don't know. Saying urinals, but yeah. with the T. Well, the I mean, front. it's pretty much. <laughs> They're not doing well. They're the terminals. Pretty much with Trey at the front, the rest of the team is a urinal. So, indeed. Uh, I mean, Josh Harrison's been great. That's been pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping he can keep it up. He did really well last year too, in his limited time. I don't know exactly. I'm a little concerned. He's definitely feeding off of the Nationals' mi- old middle infield magic that somehow propelled Howie Kendrick to super career years out of nowhere helped as Cabrera keep his career going for a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, Azrubal Cabrera just hit lights out the end of 2019 out of nowhere. 
Uh, did not help Brian Dozier. So clearly, whatever spell the Nats have for their their middle infielders, their elderly middle infielders, it is only for people of color, not for white players. Um, so luckily, Josh Harrison is black, so he's taking advantage of it. He did pretty well last year. He's doing really well this year. Uh, I hope he keeps it up because that'd be pretty cool. I like Josh Harrison. He's a fun guy. I mean, now that you look at it, like his 2019, which was brutally bad, is a blip-ish on his track record. I mean, he'd had a bad year before that, like a mediocre to bad year before that. But, you know, every year before 2018, you know, he had been sort of solid league average-ish type of hitter. So, I mean, getting back towards that is... No, it's definitely... It is funny though if you look at his like WRC pluses though his second and third best career seasons are currently right now 2021 it's at 128 and then last year 2020 with the Nats so he was at 107 um you know and before that like you said Sean he was like generally close to league average you know besides 2014 where he exploded on the scene with 137 he's otherwise been kind of you got Danny Espinosa, early Danny Espinosa ish, mm-hmm. where it's like I just around average, just close enough to average that the the good defense or positional flexibility in Harrison's case is such a big benefit that it's great. And then it's just he showed up, you know, like I said, 2018, 20 was pretty bad. 2019 was awful. Should have been out of the league. And then instead somehow ended up on the nationals as having two of the best seasons of his career offensively. <laughs> So I don't know what exactly they're doing, what weird oh magic they have going on, but I like it. You love to see it. I love to see it. I'm a, I love to see that I'm looking at, I pulled up his page. So I'm looking at his live stats and his WRC plus is now all the way back up to 139. So his best off season, his best offensive season of his career right now is this season. I don't know how much longer that will stay that way, but. I like it. Let's see. I'm trying to take a look at the news here and nothing is jumping out at me as like. Oh, there's the Pioneer League stuff. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. I did not. So the Pioneer League, which I think is now was like a pre-draft Woodbat League. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think that's what they ended up. It's one of the ones that like that in like the Appalachian League or something are the two that became these new weird, you know, draft showcase leagues basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have decided they're they have two new rules. The first one is they're not going to have any extra innings at all. So if the game is still tied at nine innings. They go into a home run derby, which is interesting. Is that the way they chose to do it is each team picks one hitter and they get five pitches and you know, one of the, after five pitches, one of the guys has hit more home runs than the other one. Their team wins a game or maybe it's even sudden death. I can't remember. It's something, I think it's like, I think it's a shootout. So I think you get five. And then after that, it's sudden death. Whoever hits a home run, their team wins after five and that's it. Um, Which is, you know, pretty interesting, sort of trying to copy what a shootout would look like in hockey. Uh, I think it's something people have said, suggested in the past. I'm kind of surprised they would do it 
right after nine innings. So rather than having, you know, sort of like hockey where you have a little bit of overtime, and then if it can't be success, you know, successful, then you go into the skills competition. But um, so they had a second rule, but that one was the overtime one. The extra innings one was the more interesting one. It's strange because you think about the, um, you know, the guys that are going to be playing this, your wood bat college guys. I mean, obviously some of them can hit home runs, but usually in leagues like that, power is few and far between. I mean, obviously, I guess in batting practice, it's not as hard to get one out, but I, I feel like there's going to be some some games that are just going to have a marathon of a home run derby where it's like three rounds and nobody's hit one or, you know, it's like one to one. Yeah, let me see. I'm going to pull it up because I, I can't remember whether it was immediately like. Knockout rule, the results tied games, head to head. Oh, sudden death home run duel. Each team designates a hitter who receives five pitches with the game determined by the most home runs hit. Oh, no, so it isn't sudden yeah. death. Yeah, so it is. Five it's sudden death, but it's not. Yeah, so it's like, it's like what I said at the beginning. Each of them gets five. If one of them had hit more in those five than the other one, then the game's over. If it's still tied after the first round, oh, another hitter is selected for a sudden uh. death home run face-off until a winner is declared. And I assume that since they called it sudden death with the first five, that it's again. So that's interesting. So basically you would choose two guys. It's basically like playing war. If you have the same number, then you have to throw in another two guys and then see if that's a different number or not. And then if it's the same, then you throw in a third. So you could end up getting a lot more players. I'm kind of surprised. I would have said, I would have thought they would do something that, um, it's a more kind of standard baseball drill that you see uh, where you kind of want to have like live, like a live scrimmage, um, but you don't quite have enough players to do a scrimmage. So there's a couple different baseball games you can play where like only one team is hitting and things like that. Uh, so one of those drills is you have one of your pitchers and they're only allowed to throw one pitch to the hitter and the hitter, you know, tries to do their best with it. And then that's it. Uh, and you try to see how many runs you can score that way um so that you can kind of save you know your pitcher's arm so you don't have to be throwing a lot in practice but you can still sort of do a scrimmage where you have people in the field you have people hitting and you kind of have teams trying to score um because i think that would have been an interesting way is if you said okay each team puts one pitcher on the mound or even it could be like a batting practice pitcher and they throw one pitch to each of the offensive players and then However, whichever many te- whichever team can score more runs that way or hit more home runs that way, uh, I think that would be more interesting that you can kind of get more players involved. That was the one thing I didn't really like about this is that it, it for the most part, would be one, maybe two people per team would be participating. And everybody else would kind of just be watching them. Um, I think it would be more interesting if you kind of get like the whole teams involved in these activities just have it run down the lineup yeah basically start at your ones then your twos and work your way backwards yeah 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 so you know obviously you don't get the five pitches but you just work it down to just one pitch and it could either still be like you can have like a bp pitcher and it's trying it's still trying to be like home runs that you can hit um or you could do you know you could actually have people in the field and make it kind of like a, a game like you would do, you know, normal practice. Uh, or, you know, the other thing that would be interesting is if they went to like, uh, 
kind of like a wiffle ball rules where you just have different zones for hits, you know, single, double, triple home run. And then if, you know, wherever it lands, then you, you know, move ghost runners around and then whichever team would score more runs that way wins. Um, so uh, I'm looking here. The other rule that was put in was they have a designated pinch hitter and designated pinch runner, allowing a player who hasn't yet appeared in the game to come off the bench to pinch hitter, pinch run. The player who is replaced by the pinch hitter or pinch runner is then allowed to return to their defensive position the next half inning. With yeah, which I think is cool. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's something that should have existed for a while. I, it just makes sense. Well, and you can only use it once per game. And whoever that pinch hitter or pinch runner is, is then disqualified essentially at that point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I say, I don't know if I would, I wouldn't have limited it to just once per game. I would say that anytime you pinch hit or pinch run, you can then when the next half inning is starting, you can make the decision of which guy has to leave the game for the rest of the, because like the thing with like the, de- if you're going to call it a designated pinch hitter, or a designated pinch runner. I feel like it should work the way the designated hitter works is he hits for the pitcher the whole game. Like even though the pitcher, you know, the pitcher's changing there, you know, somebody else is going out on defense. He gets to keep playing. He doesn't get immediately removed from the game forever. Um, Where I feel like if you're going to call it like a designated pinch hitter, designated pinch runner, it should work the same way is like my designated pinch runner. I should be able to just be able to put them in whenever you know, maybe once per inning or, you know, I say, Oh, he's going to be pinch running for this spot. And if, you know, they bat around and that spot comes up, then he can pinch run for that guy again, but that's it. You know, something like that. Um, but that they shouldn't be, you know, once they, they're used, once they're ineligible, that doesn't really feel designated to me. So I would have made it instead, you know, if you want to keep at least one player always becoming ineligible because somebody subbed in, it should be okay. I've pinch hit, and now I can decide whether the pinch hitter now needs to go into the game and play defense, or the defender is going to go play defense. But now our, my pitch hitter is—he's ineligible. Yeah. I get to choose which guy becomes ineligible now. Mm-hmm. So while we're on the topic of rules, um, I mean, it continues to sound like an inevitability that the DH is coming. Uh, with the next CBA. Um, have you guys seen this double hook rule that they're trying in the Atlantic lead? Yeah. Um, so for anyone listening who hasn't heard of this yet, they're essentially uh, allowing a DH for the pitcher, for the starting pitcher. And then as soon as the starting pitcher is pulled, the DH is pulled as well um, with the relief pitcher, then taking the spot in the lineup. And then you, the bullpen game still plays out like an NL bullpen game at that point, but you don't have starters, your big money pitchers trying to run the bases or get hit by pitches or anything else. Thoughts. I don't hate it. I mean, I think it's a good way to piss everybody off, but uh, I mean, (laughs) if it's something where like as a national league fan, I would hate to lose like the sort of end of the game strategy of like, you know, you know, should we pull our pitcher here and pinch hit for him? Or do we think he can go another inning or two, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I would kind of miss that. And I think you'd still get some of that with this rule. Um, 
and I mean, I guess on the other hand too, you would make sure that you're cycling in, you know, a lot of bench players. I mean, in the AL, I feel like, you know, guys, if they're not starting, you know, unless they're a significant defensive upgrade or something, they're not going to play like, you know, a lot of the time. So it's, it's a way to get sort of your whole bench involved more often than not. Yeah. Right. So the one thing I would have done, um, is rather than like when you pull your starting pitcher, the DH comes out too, and they're also ineligible just to kind of keep, so there are, you know, there aren't that many left, but there are still kind of guys like, Aaron Judge slash John Carlos Stanton or David Ortiz or Edgar Martinez, you know, guys who that were pretty much permanent DHs who are really good hitters. JD Martinez as well, who you're not necessarily Nelson Cruz, you don't necessarily want to put into the field. Um, but they're really good hitters. You don't want to also see them just have to always come out in the sixth inning because it's just not that valuable. Teams aren't going to pay much for a DH. The so I would say from that perspective, from a player perspective, I would have tweaked it a little bit um, to be, so the starting pitcher comes out, the DH comes out with him, but the DH is still eligible to pinch hit once. So you could say, okay, I pulled my starter, you know, in the sixth inning, you know, the DH is out. Now it's the bottom of the ninth. I'm going to pinch hit my DH again so that, you know, I guess they'll have this big David Ortiz moment or whatever. Uh, but I also think that could add additional thoughts to your pitchers. Like if you have somebody who's moving pretty well, they're up, you know, your starting pitcher got to the eighth inning and they're at 95 pitches. And you're like, well, should I have him pitch the ninth or should I take him out of the game? You know, cause my DH spot is up sixth in the bottom of the ninth. But if I pull my starting pitcher, the DH spot leaves, but now I could pinch hit my DH, you know, second or third in the, in the bottom of the ninth mm-hmm. and try to get that extra run that I need. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, obviously you know, not pure baseball, but I think it's a way where you can kind of incorporate the DH, some of the additional safety aspects to it, have a little bit more offense, still keep the DH as a position that, you could kind of get guys like Ortiz or Cruz or people like that who they're more pure hitters and they can be paid at a pretty high rate. Uh, you can still have another kind of more expensive position that, you know, something that the union likes to have, uh, but also still having more strategy to it and also introducing new kind of strategic decisions to the game, uh, I think would be pretty interesting. Well, and. I mean, this obviously incentivizes you to keep your starter in for as long as you can. But isn't that counterintuitive to how starting pitching is kind of going right now? You have fewer guys that are going the true seven innings every time they go out. Well, I'd say that like the old school baseball fan wants pitchers to do that. Of course, you know, it's not a want type of thing. That's not the reason that they don't go long anymore. It's not because they don't want to, it's because they throw hundred miles an hour. And if you throw hundred miles an hour, you know, over and over again for seven innings, your arm's going to fall off. But, um, I mean, I think that this is also their way of saying nobody wants to see openers, anything like that. Um, you know, kind of their just way of getting around a lot of their kind of undesirable things that 
maybe like the league doesn't want because they're not as traditional or whatever, even though this in and of itself would be very not traditional. Right. And let's no, no, I would definitely trade this for not having openers anymore. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, but, but let's be honest here. The reason this doesn't happen is because of the money that DHs are paid currently. Correct. <laughs> No, uh, I mean, maybe a little bit. Not that much. I mean, there's not... I won because the DH is only in the AL. Um, there aren't really that many guys, uh, you know, especially because the examples I named, a couple of them were retired, like Ortiz. So there, there's not that... And, you know, Cruz is well into his 40s. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a lot different Al- of a Pujols thing than it been guy. 10 years ago, yeah. True. Yeah. So, you know, there's not that many DHs that are like pure DHs who are getting millions of dollars like that uh, to be that much of a concern. I mean, it's still nice for the union to have another position that might get paid a little bit more than a a typical veteran bench bet would. Uh, And expanding that to the NL, you might get a few more, you know, slightly higher paying jobs like that. Uh, But I don't think it in the long run, it, it would end up being a huge difference. Oof, Max is getting his ass beat right now. Not it's not good. Kind of the one that we don't need that <laughs> to happen to. Yeah. It's not ready to play in a minor league stadium, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been paying attention to their park factors. Has it been like anything wild or has it been fairly uh, as expected? That's a good question. There's a way to find it. One sec. Oh, how do you find the guts again? Park factors. Oh, they don't have it for 2021 yet. But let's see. In When they're in Buffalo... They were, eh, it wasn't that bad. It was only 104. Okay. So they weren't like super, super high for a single year. Um, yeah, but that wasn't that many games. So I don't, I, they don't, I, they don't have that 2021 park factors up yet. Cause they haven't had enough, uh, games yet for that. So. Oh yeah, they, they're so it's Florida high, but not that crazy. But obviously, I mean, Dunedin is a completely different stadium than Buffalo is, though. So, because that's this not even Buffalo was at least a home game. Yeah, well, Buffalo was at least like a Triple A stadium. I think Dunedin is their spring training slash like single A. So, it would probably be even worse. It's obviously extremely early, but I just went on to baseball references to look at their home away splits. Just you know, the Blue Jays batting. And uh, they've got a 749 OPS at home and then 621 on the road. Of course, they've only played, you know, six games worth of stats at home. So, you know, it's obviously horrendously small sample size, but. It's a big difference, but it's also 749. Isn't that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe they're just not that good. Although they're looking good today. Not a lot going well. This game is also not going well. Mm-mm. 
but hey, the Mets are losing too, so... <laughs> the race to <laughs> 70 wins to win the division. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. I really thought this was going to be a really good division. Um, I don't know what's Isn't going on. Just about how it always happens, though. I feel like every time we're like, man, the NL East is going to be a ball buster, and then it turns out to be... The Marlins win. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, because like you know, that was that was the last three years. Basically, we keep thinking, you know, because twenty nineteen, it's like, well, you got the Braves who won the division, the Phillies who now have Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto, you know, and the Nationals who you know, had won the division the pre you know twenty sixteen twenty seventeen and had new people and were looking good. It's like, oh, you got. You know, three great teams. The Mets also have the reigning Cy Young winner, as well as Noah Syndergaard. It's like, oh, you know, lots of good teams. And then, you know, the Braves did really well. The Nats snuck into the wild card after sucking for a while. And uh, the Phillies didn't really do that well. Then 2020, it's like, oh, now you got the World Series champions, but they weren't even the division champions. And the Phillies still have Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto. They have to be better this time. Because they also have Zach Wheeler now. Uh, and the Mets have a few good players, and then the Braves are good, and everybody else is not that good. And then it's like, all right, 2021, this has to be, you know, that was just weird. They're still the same good teams. The Mets now even have Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, and still nobody's really that good. So, you know, it is really uh, exciting, though. We still have a decade of man. The Phillies have Bryce Harper. They should be really good, <laughs> and then letting them fail to meet those expectations. Yeah, I mean, right now the Phillies are really doing a good impression of the Los Angeles Angels at Anaheim. It's like it, it doesn't. You like look at the names on the roster, and it's just like it does not make sense <laughs> that you're not good. I, like you're decent. I mean, winning 81 games isn't necessarily bad. I mean, it seems bad because it's you know you know either you're above or below 500, and if you're below 500, oh, that's terrible. I mean, it's still a pretty good accomplishment to get 80 more or more wins in a full 162 game season. But it's still just crazy when you have Real Muto and Harper and Hoskins and even guys like. Gene Segura and Judy Gregorius and, and you know people who should be pretty decent. Um, you know they had Zach Wheeler, who's an okay starter. Uh, Aaron Nola supposed you know a pretty good starter. Uh, they should have the pieces, and it just does not go together. You know, and the Angels are the same way. You, how you start a team with Mike Trout? Like that's your building block. I have Mike Trout. Now I will build a team around that, and you can't manage to do shit. Is incredible. Mm-hmm. For over for a decade now, they've one played a one playoff appearance where they got knocked out by the Orioles immediately. I mean, it's just amazing. I don't know. Generally speaking, it's recommended How? to have pitchers on your team. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, that's true. You you definitely don't want your team ace to be Dylan Bundy or maybe this is the year show Otani can actually pitch. 
He's been doing well, but, but he just can't go deep. A couple of games. Right. Well, no, Tani just keeps getting injured, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bundy was okay last year. I mean, it's just it's crazy with like the velocities people have now. And you look at this starting, I was just looking at the Angels starting pitchers' velocities. They have Otani's throwing nine, averaging 97. Their next highest is Griffin Canning, averaging 93.6. And then their other three guys are all 92.6, 91.9, 91.5. They have Jose Quintana now. I didn't even know that. Remember when he was good? About f- five years ago. Yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, I obviously it doesn't help that you have one. Okay, we have Mike Trout, but on the other hand, we have the rotting corpse of Albert Pujols for the last eight years, being just straight garbage. Um, but it's just amazing. Even last year, twenty twenty, they added Anthony Rendon, and it didn't really get any better or any worse. It's still the same. The same. Yeah. They added Justin Upton like three years ago, and Upton was like, I'll just be eh. Uh, Otani is, this is Otani's, what, fourth year now? Because he debuted in 2018, I thought, right? Yeah, I think so. I think he missed a season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. And he's been okay. I mean, besides last year, he struggled a bit, but otherwise he's been pretty decent. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. How, how you put that together and can't make the playoffs one time where the A's are just putting a bunch of duct tape and glue together and have made the playoffs like every single season, the last decade. Especially considering how much money they throw around. Like, (laughs) yeah. I, it's just it's like the Brewers make the playoffs every year because they just randomly sign people who didn't get signed in February and then dick around and then make the playoffs. It's just amazing. Like how many teams have made the playoffs like once in the last six years just because they happen to just put some things together correctly for a year and the Angels can't even manage that while having Mike Trout. ridiculous and there's a second wild card now it's easier than ever to make the playoffs and I can't do it let's see No, so I like want to see like crowd. Do they have? Is there somewhere that has a list by season of who made it? Oh, that's sort sure of. Has, I was going to look for uh, longest droughts and see who is ahead of them. Oh, that's fair. What does this look like? But it's like World Series and pennants, and no, nah, I just want to know who made the playoffs. Like that's it. So the Mariners yeah, haven't made it that, since the year that they won 116 games. True. The Mariners are doing worse, but the Mariners haven't really had anybody. Uh, 
it's not like they're that much. I mean, they had Ichiro for a while that they weren't making it with Ichiro and you know Felix Hernandez, which is a pretty good start to not win with. But it's not shocking. They, they weren't really throwing around money like the Angels. I mean, that's just what's amazing is the Angels have just... They're running really high payrolls. They have the best player in baseball, and they cannot make the playoffs once. So, like, I don't even care... If you make it and you just suck in it, they just can't even make it. How this conversation started, number one on the list of trying to end postseason droughts are your Philadelphia Phillies. More there things you, you hate to see. 2011. Yeah, 2011. I was going to say, they haven't made it since 2011. I mean, they're pulling the same thing. It's, I am shocked that there isn't more, especially because Philadelphia is a fairly angry sports town to begin with. But the fact that they, 2012 to 2015, slowly blew up their World Series winning team with all of these fan favorites. They just, you know, randomly traded Ham, they traded Hamels, they traded Rollins, they traded Utley for nothing really useful, blew up the team, spent pretty much no money whatsoever for three seasons from 2016 to 2018. And then they haven't done shit. <laughs> they're sp- sort of spending money, but they're still not spending to the payroll levels they were and they're not from their 2006 to 2011 runs. Yeah. They're not spending it well. They're not putting good teams together. It's, I would just be... I mean, the problem is, is they're spending it decently. You know, Harper was a, good, a decent signing. Probably a little bit of an overpay, but not that badly. Uh, Real Muto is a decent signing and a good trade. You know, Re- Wheeler was probably a bit of an overpay, but the problem is that they're going three quarters. They're doing that a lot, like what the Mets used to do, where they go three quarters of the way to building the team, and then just kind of stop there and say, "Well, I hope this is good enough," and not make the last one or two signings you would need to actually have enough good players. You know, the, the Phillies just don't have enough starters. They have, they signed a starter and Jake Arrieta. We're like, well, I hope he carries us. And then he didn't. Then they were like, all right, well, he's out. We'll sign another one starter in Zach Wheeler. It's like, okay, but you notice you need more than two starters. No, don't tell them Aaron that. Nola in Zach Wheeler is not enough. You don't eat. Like Nick Pavetta cannot be your third starter. I'm enjoying watching them continue to try Vince Velasquez for like the 14th year in a row. I, it's just crazy. Um, well, I, I, it's a problem. And I, I'm still shocked. I mean, maybe I just not don't see the right people, but I am still shocked that there isn't more vitriol coming out of the Philadelphia Phillies fans because Middleton and these other owners are just straight trash. I mean, they sold off all the, the fun players, that the fan favorites. None of them got to finish their career with the Phillies, um, you, you know, which would have been nice. And then they didn't get anything out of that. They didn't spend any money. And then now they're still not spending money when they're supposed to be good. It's like, well, what the hell was the point of you running 80 to $100 million payrolls for three years if you were not saving the money to spend it now? You were, uh, obviously the answer is they were just trying, you know, taking advantage of a fan base to save some money for as long as they could before 
people would start getting a little mad and then have now decided to make a couple signings to make it look like they're trying without really running their payroll high enough to impact their profits too much. So it just sucks. I mean, I'm kind of glad as a Nats fan, like Sean, like you said, Sean, I'm glad they're not doing actually trying to do well. And it makes it easier for us. And we can have starts to the season like this year where it's pretty trash. Uh, and then you're like, well, you're not even out of it because everybody else is trash, which is great. But it's still, if I were a fan, I would be really mad with so many teams right now where the owners are just like, well, with the way the TV deals are set up, with the way some of these other you know deals are set up, you know the way we have players signing contracts right now, it, it doesn't matter what the fuck product I put on the field. We'll have enough fans there to give us the live ratings to continue getting the good TV deals, to continue getting these huge profits. And I could put whatever the fuck I want on the field and it won't matter. Like I, There's no incentive to win. Like in the past, the whole point was you need to win games so people will buy tickets to watch your team. If your team sucks, I'm not going to buy a ticket and you're not making enough money. You know, so you have to pay for good players. There's no incentive like that anymore. Cause now I'm locked into a seven year, eight year, two, $3 billion TV contract that is paying me enough money, you know, locally that I can cover my payroll for the entire club with just that. And now I can go and I have the national TV deal that's paying me money. I have other spaces in MLB that's paying me money. That's just going right to me. I can invest that into you know, buying real estate around the ballpark to get more money that way. Uh, you know, there's just so many ways. It's just, just, everybody's just seeing it as it's just a passive income stream at this point, mm-hmm. which just sucks because that means that unless you happen to be a fan of one of the few teams and you know, the nationals have generally kind of been on that side of being some of the better teams where they're willing to still spend the money because the owners bought the team because they wanted to own a baseball team and they thought it'd be fun to have a winning baseball team. But there are so many more people getting into the game now who are leveraging themselves to the hilt with you know taking on huge debt loads so they can actually buy a team and the only reason they're doing that is you know well, there's two reasons one is because they want to make as much money back as possible one because they need to pay off these huge debt payments that they got to be able to buy it in the first place and then two because you know they want to get richer uh but then the other reason is they just want the prestige of being i'm a sports team owner but they don't care whether they're an owner of a good team they just want to be in the club so it it just sucks but oh well not to uh to bring us back to a topic that was like seven minutes ago (laughs) but not only have the angels not made the playoffs since 2014 they have one winning season since 2014 Yeah, so that's just ridiculous. Um, so looking at hard cut, we don't even know where it actually cut off, so <laughs> it'll be real fun. <laughs> I hope it's when you said 2014. That is when you cut out of ours, so hopefully that yeah. whole sentence was finished. <laughs>
But um, O'Hara, you just had a good question. Uh, yeah. With, and I've with been answering a lot of questions. So I'm going to ask the question and make right. you guys answer it instead. Uh, since Ryan Zimmerman has now just hit another home run, is one of the few players I listed at the top of the show who actually is hitting well this year. Uh, when when do you start deciding to just start Ryan Zimmerman every game at first base and you know leave Josh Bell to pinch hitting and you know maybe if he shows in his pinch hitting he can do better slight you know slightly move into a platoon. So I will say Bell has not been hitting the ball, you know, the results haven't been good, but he has been hitting it really well. I think his exit velocities are like career highs right now. So I would guess that eventually he'll get there. But I mean, again, yeah, we can't wait forever. Um, But I would say at this point, a hard platoon makes a lot of sense because he doesn't hit lefties as well as righties. And obviously Zim hits lefties really well. And then maybe, you know, a quarter of the games against Reddish or something like that, you get close to a time of just a regular timeshare for, for at least a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely makes sense as far as like actually removing Josh Bell from the lineup. Um, I mean, you'd have to give him another month. I wouldn't, I couldn't see that before June that Zim actually took over and that would require Zim to continue hitting for the next month as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and also I think the idea with Zim too was, is that is that he can't be or shouldn't be a, uh, an everyday player anymore to keep in order to keep him healthy, even if he's feeling right, you know, right. You can't. Yeah. Really, and that was, that yeah. was the one question I was even thinking that like, even if you wanted to go to Zim being the full time, like, I didn't know if it was more of a Howie Kendrick situation where he just can't physically be the full-time starting base, starting first baseman. Um, I mean, I think they could definitely find places where Zim works into the lineup a little bit more than he is now. Um, I, I admit it's a hard balance to try to find between if you're, if you're working off the assumption that Zimmerman can't start every day, then you have to have Josh Bell hitting well to be able to cover those other plate appearances. And the only way you can get Josh Bell hitting well is by giving him plate appearances to figure out what's wrong and, and get his stroke going and you know see enough fastballs that he can get back up to speed. But by doing so, you're now making your offense significantly worse and making it more likely you're going to lose games. So there's definitely like a hard, like how exactly many regular plate appearances do you need to give Josh Bell to help him get fixed while also then giving the remaining maximum to Ryan Zimmerman <laughs> to try to win as many games as you can in that run. And I think right now they do not have the right answer because I think Bell is getting way too many plate appearances. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I will say talking about you know how long of a leash things have if the Nats come into you know june july and have not and have continued to lose ground let's say that because there's not exactly a whole lot to make up right now um they have some interesting one-year deals to pawn off at the trade deadline um either one-year deals or at the end of their deal um don't say max scherzer (laughs) everybody's gonna get mad (laughs) 
<laughs> You're just going to make everyone angry. But I mean, turn him into the new, uh, what was his name? Mike, uh, who was the reliever who we traded away like four times then came back and signed with us? Mike, Mike Stanton? Time. Yes. <laughs> Not John Carlo. <laughs> one who stayed Mike Stanton. Mm-hmm. No, or like Kelly the Johnson who kept, who kept signing with the Mets to start the season and got traded to a different NLEs team halfway through. <laughs> Which was a fascinating strategy he had going. But, I, I mean, you, you do have Scherzer. Uh, you have hands so, on a one hand deal or one, one deal. One hand deal. <laughs> yep, just one. Yeah. We didn't buy the other one. Uh, Schwarber's on Schwarber. a one deal. I don't think anybody's training for Schwarber right now. No. Castro. I, I, I think the problem is, is just you're not going to get the return back for that kind of player that makes it worth it anymore. I, I, at this point, compensation pick. Right. I, I, at this point, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me unless you're just, I want to get literally anything back because that looks slightly better. You know, I think that makes me look better. I, I think at this point, it's more of a perception for the GM. I, it's just very infrequent. Every once in a while, you can get a good prospect back. You know, Rollis Chapman being traded for Gabriel Torres isn't, you know, well, that's five years ago at this point. Um, but you know, every once in a while. But you know, I don't think Max Scherzer really would. Uh, you know, it, it is an interesting thought that hey, we could trade Max, and he'll just we'll just sign him again in the in the off season. We'll also have whatever JB Bukowskis level prospect comes back for him. But I would caution you on that because Max is very close to be able to get three thousand strikeouts for his career this year, and it would be. Very disappointing if that was not in front of Nats fans at home or being watched by Nats fans in an away game and in a Nationals uniform. I mean, he's had so many other career accomplishments in the Nationals uniform. That's just another one that I would really like to be in the Nats uniform. And it would be kind of annoying if they traded him in in July for some slapdick prospect to quote Blake Snell. And Scherzer gets 3,000 you know, in September and then they resign him. It's like, well, but we missed out on this really cool milestone. You know, that happened in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform <laughs> instead. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. So. I think it's going to end up looking a lot like the 2018 deadline. If things don't work well, where it's wait, wait, wait. And then, you know, maybe sell off, you know, kind of your, minor ish piece, you know, I guess that year we traded uh, Murphy and Adams. Those are both after the waiver. And deadline. Did they didn't yeah, trade yeah. anybody at the trade deadline. And then before the waiver deadline, they traded Gio Gonzalez, which kind of sucked. Uh, Cause he didn't get a proper goodbye game at all. Uh, Daniel Murphy, which who cares? And um, like you said, Matt Adams, and Bryce Harper, they had a deal in place and ownership nixed it. Uh, well, they did They did trade one guy at the deadline, though. Brandon Kinsler, Rizzo's favorite. That's true. Kinsler, oh, and Kelly. Were yeah, both Kelly, Kelly just got DFA. They were like, hey, get the fuck out of here. Oh, <laughs> uh, If you're not with us, you're in the way. Um, but yeah, so it, it wasn't really good decisions. Um, I, I just don't think they're going to get the return. I, I don't think you trade Max Scherzer. And I don't think you trade right in Zimmerman 
even though they technically this is their last years of their you know one year contracts so or their last years of contract just because they should be nationals and you're not there is no return you can get back that's good enough i think at this point unless somebody goes crazy for Scherzer for some reason you're just not going to get the prospects back that would really make it worth it like the only reason i would see trading max Scherzer if you get somebody like Gleyber Torres back where this is a prospect we know you will see in the major leagues. But honestly, I'm perfectly happy that they didn't trade Bryce Harper for fucking JB Bukowskis yeah. and whatever that catcher Cooper or something like that, who I had no chance of ever seeing in the major leagues beyond maybe they would make one random spot start in terms of Bukowskis. Cause he was a pitcher. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm not going to ever see him. I don't care that you traded Besides the fact that it's fun to say his name, I'm going to keep saying Bukowskis. <laughs> That's literally the only thing that would have been interesting to me. I'm not going to see him the majors. I'm not going to count on him to ever be a good starter for us. Like, why did I give up seeing an extra month of Harper in a, in a Nets uniform for this loser? Or and especially in the case of Max Scherzer, I especially don't want him. I want him to be, he was a Diamondback, a Tiger. And then he was in the Nationals uniform and he was in that until he retired. And that is why he's a National in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah. uh, I Brad Hand, I think, might be the only one you would see traded and I would see being worth trading. Maybe Kyle Schwarber if he suddenly turns it on. But if Kyle Schwarber suddenly turns it on, I feel like they're also going to be in a good enough place that it's not worth trading him. So, no, That's definitely fair. All right. Anything else? I think that's it for now. All right. We'll see. It's another couple of weeks to kind of say it's basically either the Nats figure it out or we wait and see if some of the one other team in the NL East figures it out and buries everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you got to think someone will, but we could be here in two or three weeks talking about how it's the same situation and everyone's sitting two games under 500. It's but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, we will see, uh, otherwise we will be back here probably in two weeks, uh, to chat more about the Nats and, uh, until then. <laughs>